Thank you for joining the Capital Church Podcast. We believe that Jesus is for you and that through these expressions of our community, you will find hope, healing, and belonging. To learn more, join us live every week online and visit our website at capitalchurch.co or send us an email at info at like David. He said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Amen. I hope that you came expecting God to do something because he's in the building and we're just going to let him work. Come on, will you guys pray this with me or say this with me? Say, Lord, Lord. a little bit louder. Say, Lord, Lord. throw your weight around. Come on, say it again. Say, Lord, Lord, throw your weight around. Come on, I want you to picture what that looks like if God can do what he wants to do. Amen? Amen. Well, if you would stand with me for the reading of the word, I know you are accustomed to having someone come up here on the platform and read the word to you, but I just think it comes, it sounds so much better coming off of your lips and it's so much more powerful when the people of God Declare the word of God in the presence of God. Amen? Amen. So come on, we're going to read together out of Psalm 73. And let's read. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Amen. We're going to move to John chapter 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of man. And then verse 14, the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading, the hearing, and the doing of his word. If you'll remain standing with me, bow your heads, let's pray. Father God, I thank you that in these next few moments, my prayer is that you would give me the grace to complete the assignment that you you have for me today. Lord, I pray that you would open up every heart to hear and to receive your word. God, don't let the enemy steal your words that are are being planted today. Don't allow the cares of life to choke the seed out, but let our hearts and let our minds be fertile soil that allows the word of God to bring a harvest of righteous living and change our hearts and our minds so that our lives would be vessels that carry the manifest presence of the living God for your glory and for our edification. We thank you, we bless you, and we invite you, Holy Spirit. You're welcome in this place. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Amen. Well, I hope you guys are excited to be here. And uh, I just want to thank Pastor Chris for this Grow series that we've been in. Come on, how many of you guys have been blessed? Yeah. I want to thank him for the, the amazing way that he's been able to unpack these 
truths through some questions that he's asked us, right? And I don't know if you understand this, but the purpose of, 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 of discipleship is to get us to a place of spiritual maturity. That's the path. And it's important that we grow spiritually because there's some things that just aren't available to us at the infant stage. Come on, if you, if you are a parent and you have the means, right, to buy your 11-year-old a brand new F-154 pickup, you don't buy him the car because you know that he's not mature enough, right? He's not responsible enough to handle that responsibility. God is no different because he's a good, good father. So there are some things that God is waiting to pour out in our lives. He's waiting for us to get into a place of spiritual maturity where the blessing won't consume us. The Bible says that the blessings of the Lord make rich and they add no sorrow. Amen. So we've got to grow to get to spiritual maturity. And so that's why I'm so thankful for this series that we're in. And I want to encourage you, don't mistake childlike faith because the Bible says you need to have childlike faith, but don't mistake childlike faith with childlike behavior. Paul said, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish living. And I think in an attempt to enlighten us on how to grow into the person that God created us to be, Pastor Chris has been asking us a series of questions. And last week he asked the question, have I resolved to pursue God wholeheartedly? I pray that you work that out this week and you will start processing that and moving towards that place where you have resolved to, to, to follow God and pursue God wholeheartedly. He said a half-hearted relationship with God based on just knowing facts about God rather than knowing God will lead to disillusionment. And if you're a really good note taker like I am, you put down in your notes that disillusionment will lead to frustration because failed expectations always lead to, failed expectations always lead to frustration. Come on, when we don't experience what God has promised, the way that God promised us we could experience it, we get frustrated. Come on, when we don't experience what God says we could experience the way that he said we could experience it, we get frustrated. I I don't know what your testimony is, but I I don't want to just sing about the peace of God. I want to experience the peace of God. Come on, I don't want to just sing about joy unspeakable and full of glory. I want to experience it. Come on, we were singing the song, Lord, Sin Revival. Have you stopped to think for a minute just what that would look like? I don't sing it because it's a song. I sing it because it's a prayer and it's the cry of my heart. Lord, send revival. Forget the world. Send revival in me. Because until we, as the people of God, get revived, the world won't see. So just knowing facts about God and not knowing God has caused too many people to be frustrated in your faith. And here at Capital Church, we don't want that to be your testimony. We want you to experience everything that God has for you, amen? Come on, I use the statement all the time. It's like, hey, I'm I'm not greedy, I'm hungry. I don't want more than what God has for me, but I definitely want all that God has for me. Come on, I want to experience everything. We were in our prayer and worship weekend. When we first came to the church, they would pray, oh, if you're under 18 and, and, and you want God to do this, I want you to stand. And so I would stand, and my wife would be like, sit down, you're not under 18. I was like, I do not care. I want what's being dished out. If you're over 65, stand, we want to pray for you. I'm saying, she's like, you're not over 65. I'm like, I do not care. 
how old I am. I want whatever God is pouring out because maybe in my zero to 18 years, I missed it. But it's never too late. So the question before us today is this, is my life marked by worship and prayer? Is my life marked by worship and prayer? And I think that the only way to adequately determine whether that question is true in our lives for me is to ask another question. And that question is this, am I experiencing all that God said I could experience in the way that he said I could experience it? Am I experiencing all that God said I could experience in the way that he said I could experience it? Come on, the Bible says, if you thirst and hunger after righteousness, you will be half full. He says, you will be filled. My question for some of you this morning is, are you full yet? If you're not full yet, we keep pressing. Some of you have been serving the Lord longer than I have, but I'm going to just take you to the Apostle Paul. He says, not that I've already attained this, but I keep pressing on to grab hold of that for which Christ Jesus grabbed hold of me. So until we experience everything that God said we could experience, we need to keep pressing. Amen? So I'm big on quotes. I'm big on mission statements because I believe if you have a vision statement before you, a mission statement, then you're willing to do anything to bring that vision to fruition. You see what I'm saying? So if you have a vision statement, if you have a mission statement, the Bible says that people perish for, for the lack of vision, right? I'm not trying to have that be my testimony. And so I saw this mission statement from a church. I'm like, I'm just going to adopt that to my own life, right? And it says this. It says, we exist to glorify God through a proper response to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. It says to express that response through wholehearted obedience to the scriptures with love and adoration to our Savior. It says this is biblical worship. And look, it's, it's, it's not even primarily about singing. When, when Pastor Chris gave me the assignment, he says, oh, I want you to talk about a life, you know, uh, marked with prayer and worship. Oh, I was, I had it, y'all. You weren't ready for it. And the Holy Spirit said, you're not going to preach that. And then I was like, I sent Pastor Chris a message. I was like, bro, I'm kind of, I'm stuck. <laughs> you need to, you need to throw me a cyst, right? And so bless the Lord, he did. But he sent me some excerpts from a book that he's reading called The Way by the, this author, Stephen Walker. And, and this is what it says. It says, in order to worship God correctly, we have to understand who God is. If we grasp what God is like, we're probably not going to be impressed with him. And if we aren't impressed with him, we probably won't worship him. Perhaps our lackadaisical attitude in worship is traceable to our failure to recognize the greatness of God. We are impressed so much more with things other than God, but is there anything greater to us than him? Should there be anything that grips our heart more than the one true and living God? So this is what I believe, a correct perspective of God will lead to true and proper worship. A correct and proper perspective of God will lead to proper worship. So, so here's the thought. Worship is an act of an inferior before a superior. This is what worship is. 
This is our adoration. It's an act of, a, of an inferior before a superior. So when we're worshiping in the worship team, some of you have probably heard me say it, in the midst of your worship, if there's any thoughts of you, your stuff, your problems, your issues, your desires, whatever it happens to be in a worship service, you don't have a proper perspective of the greatness of God. Because worship is not about us. Worship is about Him. To act as an inferior before a superior. So when I worship, what I'm saying is, God, you're better than I am. God, you're bigger than I am. God, you're more than I am. And Jay, my buddy Jay, wrote a prayer that he turned into a song. And it's been the anthem, one of the anthems of my life. I've, I've been on staff here for 27 years. I've been singing at this church for 27 years. But this prayer turned into a song says this, let my life worship you more than my lips. This is my prayer. Let my life worship you more than my lips. Again, I don't want to just sing about the goodness of God. I want to experience the goodness of God. And this is what I believe one of the issues that we have as, as human beings, right? The issue that we are contending with is that whenever we lower our view of God, we see him as common. And God is anything but common. Come on, if God is awesome, nothing else can be. Come on, if God is wonderful, full of wonder, nothing else can be. See, culture is trying very hard to make God common, and I believe that mentality is trying to creep into the church, where you have churches and religion, right, bringing God down to here so that he's palatable instead of us going up to where he said we should be. They got worship services that are really nothing more than karaoke sing-alongs because God is not in the middle of it. If God gets no glory, we shouldn't be doing it because we exist to glorify God. Amen? A correct perspective of God will lead to true and proper worship. And I don't know if we uh, understand this about ourselves completely, but absent of proper perspective, our proclivity as human beings is equality. Absent of proper perspective, our proclivity as human beings is equality. The whole justice movement is about equality. People who are living in sin, no, we still want to be equal with the people who aren't living in sin. Absence of the proper perspective, our proclivity is equality. Our desire is to be equal with everything, even God. Come on, that's how the serpent tricked Eve. We fail to recognize that if we don't worship, then what we crave is worship. Come on, if we aren't the inferior in a relationship, then we act as the superior. The desire for celebrity status, for fame, is simply so I can be a little bit higher than you. I want you to worship me because I'm a little bit higher than you. But only God is worthy of our praise. And so it's important for us to recognize as humans that we won't submit to anything that we think that we're equal to. We won't submit to anyone who we think we're better than. We won't submit to anyone who we think we're smarter than because we have this innate desire to be worshiped. And I believe this, where there's no reverence, you think that you're on the same level. 
The Apostle Paul in Romans 13 tells us to give honor to whom honor is due. Now, I got a little <clears throat> pet peeve, but I think it, it, it will help me um, explain what I'm talking about. So this is Pastor Ken and Connie on the front row. I've been with them for 27 years. I've never one time in 27 years called him Ken or called her Connie. It's Pastor Ken. It's Pastor Connie. I don't care if you're older than he is. The mantle on his life requires reverence and respect. Here's the deal. If you can't give honor and reverence on this level, how do you really expect that you're gonna give honor and reverence on this level? Pastor Chris is younger than me, and I still don't call him Chris. He's Pastor Chris. That's legalistic. That's respect. That's honor. So when we refuse to worship the Lord with all of our hearts, with all of our soul, with all of our strength, with all of our mind, what we're saying is, God, I think you're common. Now, I know nobody in this room, nobody under the sound of my voice could imagine yourself standing in the room with God and saying, God, I think that you are common. But you have to ask the question, does my worship and my lifestyle prove that I have a proper perspective of the greatness of God? When I'm in the manifest presence of the Lord, let me put it this way. There is a river it's the river of God. We talk about it. We pray about it. But if it's God's river, God's in control. And if it's in God's river, then we finish when he's finished. We move when he moves. You understand what I'm saying? A lot of times I think the paradigm shift that we really need is we think that we're inviting God into our presence. So we're in control, but that's not the way it goes. He's inviting us into his Your life changes when you have the proper perspective of the greatness of God. Again, if you really believe that God is awesome, then nothing else can be because there's nobody else like God. Amen? You want Bible? Let me give you Bible. So Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1 through 5. So God gives Isaiah a glimpse of the worship that is going on in heaven. And if you read on the screen with me, it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on the throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him there were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying, and they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory, holy, Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. That was not a verse in the song. That was the song. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And it says, at the sound of their voices, the doorpost and the threshold shook and the temple was filled with smoke. And this is Isaiah, the prophet, the man of God. He says, woe is me. I'm undone. I'm ruined, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live amongst the people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. In that moment of revelation, 
come on, Isaiah, the prophet, the Billy Graham of his day, right? He realized that there was no hope of measuring up to the standard of God's holiness apart from the grace and mercy of God. And because your worship is directly tied to revelation, we need an elevation of our thought and a revelation of God because if we don't get a revelation of who God is, we will remain satisfied with singing songs that are about us and call it worship. Come on, in the manifest presence of God, do you get that revelation? I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips because when God shows up, I don't care how good you are, you pale in comparison. Pastor Mark, I thought you said that worship wasn't really about singing. Okay, let me rephrase it to this. Because your worship is directly tied to revelation, we need an elevation of our thought and our revelation of God because if we don't get a revelation of who God really is, we will remain satisfied with living life for our own glory instead of for the glory of the Lord. If your life is truly going to be marked by worship and praise and prayer, you don't just need a revelation of God's goodness. You need a revelation of God's godness. Lord, what makes you you? Moses having a conversation with God. Lord, if your presence doesn't go with us, I'm not going. And at that moment, God promised the presence of God to the people of God. But Moses is like, that's cool. I appreciate it. But show me what makes you you. It says that God showed him his glory. He didn't show him blessings. He didn't show him favor. He didn't show him miracles. He showed him what made him him. We need a revelation of God's godness. The angels who are around the throne singing holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. They, they don't sing amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved the wretch like me. I once was lost. They've never been apart from the manifest presence of God. Still, they sing holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And I don't know because I haven't been there yet, right? But this is just how I picture things. God shows them an aspect of his character, an aspect of his godness. And they're holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And they sing that song for 5,000 years. Then they get up and they're ready to start a new song. And God shows them another aspect of his glory. And they're back. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And it just goes on and on and on. As God continues to reveal his godness, see, we're looking for his goodness. We're looking for his blessings. But why look for the stuff that he gives instead of looking for the giver of the stuff? Is my life marked by worship and prayer? All I know is that in the Bible, when God shows up, when his glory comes, nobody leaves that place the same. Biblically, you can't prove that you've had an encounter with God if there's no transformation. Moses comes out of the presence of the Lord and his face is glowing. Paul has an encounter with Jesus on the Damascus road and he's blinded. 
Jacob has an encounter with God and his hip is out of place and now he's walking with a limp. Abraham has a, uh, an encounter with God and God changes his name. We can go on and on. Peter has an encounter just over some fish, right? And once the boat gets filled up with fish, he gets on his knees. He's like, you are God. Does your worship facilitate transformation? Is my life marked by worship and prayer? So you have to understand you were created to worship, but you also have to understand that if you don't worship the Lord, you will ultimately, either intentionally or ignorantly, you'll ultimately end up worshiping something else or someone else. Because it's in us. Let my life worship you more than my lips. Let me give you a Bible. The Apostle Paul in uh, the book of Romans chapter one, he says this, he says, so what had happened was, no, that's the Ebonics version, he didn't say it like that. <clears throat> he said, I know that's totally opposite of Pastor Chris, right? So he said, what happened was this. <laughs> People knew God perfectly well, but when they didn't treat him like God, refusing to worship him, they trivialized themselves into silliness and confusion so that there was neither sense nor direction left in their lives. They pretended to know it all, but were illiterate regarding life. They traded the glory of God who holds the whole world in his hands for cheap figurines that you can buy at any roadside stand. The Apostle Paul is telling us in this passage that those who really know God, he expects that their lives should be marked by two primary traits, and that's worship, and prayer, reverence, and relationship. Do we have the proper perspective of the greatness of God? So how can you make sure that you're on track to living a life that is marked by worship? Well, the Apostle Paul in the book of Colossians shares with us what I believe is the mentality that we should have in life. And he says, whatever you do, whatever you do, come on, look at your neighbor, tell them whatever you do. Look at your second choice, tell them whatever you do. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward because it is the Lord Christ that you are serving. Come on, living your life with this agenda or this mentality makes everything that you do an act of worship. Come on, when you're ministering or loving or serving your, your spouse, it's an act of worship. When you're ministering or loving your children or serving your children, it's an act of worship. Come on, I tell the football players on the field, when you're playing the game, do it as if unto the Lord. It's an act of worship. Whether you're on the job, whether you're in the classroom, whether you're in the grocery store, do everything as if unto the Lord. trying to implement that, one of the things that I do is like, okay, I'm not just going to love my wife because I love my wife and she loves me. I'm going to love my wife because God told me to love her. So I'm trying to please God, not just her. Because if I can please God, she'll be blessed. Right? If you do it as if unto the Lord, everybody else around you gets blessed because you're living a life of worship. So I've talked a lot about revelation. Revelation of who God is is, is a key to, to worshiping him correctly because the God that you see is the God that you get. If you, the God that you see is the God that you get. 
if you only see a God who's more than able to sometimes do things, that's the God that you're going to get. If you don't see a God who's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask and all that we can think, you won't get that God. And God is not going to force you to do anything. Some of us are in worship service. Well, you know, Pastor Mark, I'm just not the type of guy who lifts my hands. It's cool. You raise your hands at a football game. Mark, you are off track. Um, I'm just not that kind of guy. You are who God says you are. And if you understood who you were trying to connect with in the atmosphere of praise and the atmosphere of worship, man, you'll lift your hands, you'll jump up and down, you'll lay on the floor because his greatness Come on, his greatness requires that we have a proper, respect, uh, proper perspective so that we can have a proper response, right? But revelation is important. But I believe that that knowledge, that information, that reverence has to go from our head to our hearts. The Bible says that King David is my guy. He was a worshiper, chief worshiper in the Old Testament, but God called him a man after his own heart. Now, last week, I think Pastor Chris mentioned that, excuse me, the goal of the gospel of Jesus Christ is not just theological, but it's also about a relational knowing of the unconditional love of God. This is what I believe. I believe that prayer has the ability to transport that knowledge from your head to your heart. My favorite author, Dr. Miles Monroe, preaches on purpose. And he says that prayer is an earthly license for heavenly interference. If you want God to come into your space and do things, you have to invite him. You have to give him access. There's nobody in the building who could say, oh, the Lord made me do it. You can't say that. But if you're trusting in God, you can't say the devil made me do it either. Because the devil can't make you do nothing you don't want to do. And God won't make you do nothing you don't want to do. So if you don't want to lift your hands in worship, if you don't want to press in, God's like, man, I'm sad, but the God you see is the God you get. Don't settle for less than what God has for you. Amen? So sometimes for us to be able to experience from reverence, it has to go from our head to our heart, right? Knowing about the majesty of God and knowing about the goodness of God, that's all great, but it's infinitely better to have experiences with the majesty of the, and the goodness of God. This is what David says, I would have fainted out of lost heart if I had not believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Come on, some of you guys are like, you know, when I get to heaven, I'm gonna get my blessings. You don't need no blessings in heaven. Uh, when I get to heaven, I'm going to enjoy my peace. You don't need no peace in heaven. Everybody in heaven's got peace. When I get to heaven, I'm going to have that joy unspeakable. You don't need joy unspeakable in heaven. You need joy now. You need peace now. You need the manifest power and presence of the living God in your life now. Quit waiting till you get to heaven to get what God has for you. 
I'm sorry, I'm yelling, I didn't take my medicine. So, up until the age of 18, I was on drugs, because my, my mom and dad drugged me to church, whether I wanted to go or not. Y'all thought that story was going someplace else, didn't you? So I grew up in church, right? My dad was a pastor, my mom was a music director, my brother and my sisters, they sang in the choir. They didn't let me sing until I was like 18. I was mad, but I'm over it now. But not believing, listen, not believing that there was a God who was awesome, that was not an option for me. Maybe some of you grew up and you didn't really know about God and you didn't believe God. I never not believed that God was awesome. I've never not believed that God was who he said he was. My problem was me. It wasn't God. There was a fear and there was a reverence, a respect, I guess, if you will, but it was without an intimate relationship. For the longest time, I lived through my parents' relationship. That's how I tasted the goodness of God. But circumstances finally forced me to open my ears to the Lord knocking on the door of my heart. And in one moment of prayer, my life changed forever. I'm standing before you today because of one moment of prayer. I know there was intercession going on for me, but I had to have that experience. I had to have that encounter. I needed the God that I knew about in my mind to become real in my heart. And in that moment of prayer, I believe God took what I knew about him in my head from the things that I'd heard about him all of my life to imprinting his love on my heart. And this is the power of prayer. Prayer has the ability to close the distance between your head and your heart. And that's what some of your issues are. You needed to go from here and get to here. Come on, most of the human conflict is because we don't come into alignment. Our head and our heart don't come into alignment. Paul said, man, what was me? I do the stuff I don't want to do and I don't do the stuff I know I'm supposed to do. There was an issue between the head and the heart. But finally there came a connection. Prayer is the vessel that allows for intimacy between you and Father God in the person of Jesus Christ. So Pastor Chris has had us as a staff reading this book. It started a while ago. I'm a little late bloomer. But uh, the name of the book is Praying Like Monks, Living Like Fools by an author, Tyler Staten. And he reminds us that, he says that in the ancient world, God was worshiped with formality from a distance. It says he points out that there was reverence, but there was no intimacy. But then Jesus comes and he shatters any perception that God was unapproachable and that God was unknowable. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And then it says, then the word became flesh and dwelt among us. What they heard about God through the Torah, through the prophets, through the stories became real to them in the person of Jesus Christ. And went from just being head knowledge to them understanding in their heart. So in walking with Jesus, the disciples learned firsthand the unconditional love of the Father. They saw firsthand the power of God to save, the power of God to heal, the power of God to deliver. They saw miracles that no one had ever seen before. They had heard about the miraculous things that God had done, but Christ made those miracles real to them. It says, the author then reminds us of a conversation in Luke chapter 11 where the disciples must have overheard Jesus praying one time, right? 
and they asked him this question. They said, Lord, teach us to pray. Lord, teach us to pray. Now I've read the book, I've seen the series. By this time, they've seen Jesus heal the deaf people and make the lame to walk and heal the blind and cleanse lepers. They, they, they've, they've seen him do all of these wonderful miracles, right? And from what we've read about James and Peter and John, we would, we would have thought that they asked a different question, right? I'm kind of like this, Lord, yeah, show me how to heal people. Lord, show me how to raise the dead. That walking on water thing, <laughs> bro, Jesus, please, you got to show me that. Some of y'all are like, yeah, turning water into wine. <laughs> That's the one for me. <laughs> Just kidding. Sort of. But the question was, Lord, teach us to pray. Out of all the requests that they could have made in light of all that they had experienced with Jesus, they asked him to teach them how to pray. Could it be that because they watched him live a lifestyle of prayer, that drew them to the conclusion that this was the secret to his success. So Jesus goes up on the mountain and he prays. Then he comes back down the mountain and he starts healing people. Then he goes up on the mountain and he prays. Then he comes back down off the mountain and he feeds the 5,000. Then he goes back up on the mountain and he prays. Then he comes back down the mountain and the disciples are struggling on the sea, right? Because it's tossing and turning and he walks on water. It was a lifestyle of prayer and worship that they saw that caused them to ask that question. Lord, teach us to pray. I, I try to remind you guys every time I have an opportunity that the things that God did, the things that Christ did in the Bible, he didn't do them to show us what he was capable of doing. He did them to show us what we are capable of doing. Hear me, he didn't do those things. He didn't show them, he wasn't sleeping in the boat just so that he showed them what he could do. He says, you can sleep in the midst of a storm. I love this, it's not in my notes, Old Testament, I mean, New Testament, Jesus is led out into the desert, uh, you know, by the Holy Spirit to be tempted by the devil. He's hungry, the devil runs up on him and he's like, starts, you know, I know you're hungry, turn this, this rocks into bread. Now, if I'm Jesus, I'm just, <laughs> I'm tired, I'm hangry, hangry, is that it? Hungry and angry, right? I'm tired, I'd have just slapped him. Y'all glad I ain't Jesus, right? <laughs> but Jesus knew that's what we couldn't do. He says, you're not going to be able to slap him. So he says, this is how you deal with the, with the devil. It is written. <laughs> it is written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeded from the mouth of God. He asked him another question. It is written, Jesus, no, you couldn't beat the devil up like that. So he gave you the pattern on how to deal with the enemy of your destiny. Everything that Jesus did, he didn't do so we could see that he was able to do it. He did it to show us that we could do what he said we could do. Come on, somebody. So Pastor Mark, you're telling us that we can walk on water? Well, I don't know if you really need to walk on water, but I am telling you that by faith, you can walk on some things that other people drown in. Yeah. 
Anxiety is consuming me. Yeah, not with Jesus in the boat. Come on, depression is consuming me. No, not with Jesus in the boat. Come on, sickness is trying to ruin my life. No, not with Jesus in the boat. Yeah, you can walk on things that other people drown in. Lord, teach us to pray. And in that conversation, Jesus told the disciples, he said this, I want you to start out by remembering who you're talking to. Our Father, who art in heaven. Not just some supreme deity that you have no connection to, but a loving Father who literally brought heaven down to earth so that you could experience his unconditional love. Remember who you're talking to. In the Hebrew, the word father is Abba. And Abba is made up of source, sustainer, nourisher, provider, protector. So when I'm saying our father, I'm saying daddy, my protector, daddy, my nourisher, daddy, my provider, daddy, my sustainer. He's just not a distant God who doesn't have a connection with you or doesn't want to have a connection with you. He's a loving God who has made a way you have access through Jesus. I love this in the Bible, in the book, the author kind of enlightens me. I don't know, maybe you knew this, but it says 56 times in the New Testament, we are called beloved. Three times we're called Christians. 56 times. Jesus gets baptized and he says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And God uses the same name for Jesus that he used for us, beloved. Could you imagine, just picture, sitting on Jesus' lap and him whispering in your ear, my beloved. Who wouldn't want to serve a God like that? Who wouldn't want to worship a God like that? How could you not want to commune with a God that calls you beloved? Living a life that is marked by worship and prayer is important because your assignment on the earth requires you to have a proper perspective of God as well as an intimate relationship. My assignment, what's my assignment? Well, first of all, we exist to glorify God. But you have to distinguish between your identity or your assignment and your purpose. I tell the football players, it's like, you're not a football player. That's not your identity, that's your assignment. And the assignment has a shelf life. My purpose is my wife. Your purpose is not your wife. She's an assignment. How can you call the wife? God has given us an assignment. Your children aren't your purpose. Your children are an assignment. I I use this, a little 11-year-old taught me this. I'm, I'm a pastor. I'm a Christian cleverly disguised as a pastor. I'm a Christian cleverly disguised as a chaplain. I'm a Christian cleverly disguised as a husband. I'm a Christian cleverly disguised. I mean, you get my point? 
my identity is in Christ. I have all of these other assignments, but if I don't get my identity correct, I can't rock the assignment. Living a life that is marked by worship and prayer is important because you have an assignment and you have to have the proper assignment, uh, the proper uh, perspective. Let me give you scripture as we wrap this up. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 15 and 16, I believe this is out of the Living Bible, right? It says, as far as God is concerned, there is a sweet, wholesome fragrance in our lives. It is the fragrance of Christ within us, an aroma to both the saved and the unsaved all around us. To those who are not being saved, we seem a fearful smell of death and doom, while to those who know Christ, we are a life-giving perfume. But who is adequate for such a task as this? Those who live a life marked by worship and prayer. Come on, I've had Jeremy playing uh, the song because I believe if you're preaching, you need a soundtrack. The soundtrack of your life should be worship and prayer. It says we are to God and to those around us the aroma of Christ. Living a life of worship and prayer will cause people to be like, what's that about you? There's something different about you. We don't get to that unless we're living a life marked by worship and prayer. Am I making sense? So as we close, I want to give you, you know, every week we've been, we've had these practices, something that you can take with you for the rest of the week. And I hope that you've been actually applying those practices. But our practice, um, before I give you our practice for this week, right, um, I, I learned this in the book as well. It says, during the Jewish Passover, Israel sang a song of gratitude for God's deliver, deliverance and accidents called Dayenu. And it says, traditionally, Dayenu would be, it would have been enough. Whenever I wake up in the morning before my feet hit the ground, I'm like, Lord, thank you for waking me up today, allowing me to see another one of your glorious creations, clothing me in my right mind that I knew to acknowledge you as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You pray that every day, I pray that every day because I recognize today wasn't promised to me, right? It says a modern translation of Dianu would be, thank you, God, for overdoing it. Our assignment for this week is to take 10 to 20 minutes at the end of the day and reflect and thank God for his goodness. And this is what I want you to do. I want you to start by reviewing the events of the day, right? The people, the tasks, the messages, the meals, the demands, the surprises. Remember all of it. And then as you make your way back through the day from morning to evening, thank God for anything that you have to be grateful for. Lord, it would have been enough if you just woke me up in the morning and allowed me to see another one of your glorious creations. But you woke me up and you gave me a spouse who loves me, who I love, that I could do life with. Lord, it would have been enough if you woke me up and you gave me a wonderful spouse, but you gave us some kids that we could actually minister to and shoot out into the world as arrows so that they could go out and live a life worthy of the calling that they've received. Lord, it would have been enough if you woke me up in the morning and you gave me a spouse and you gave me a family, but you also gave me purpose. 
Lord, it would have been enough if you woke me up and gave me a spouse and gave me a family and gave me purpose, but you, you gave me food to eat. And it would have been enough if you just gave me food to eat, but you gave me resources to where I could choose what it was that I was going to eat. And if that wasn't enough, you made the food taste good. I can have candied bacon. It would have been enough if you just gave me sustenance. But you've given me the ability to enjoy the sustenance. Our practice for the week is to remember what God has done through the day and then give him praise. That is do his name because a proper perspective of the grace of God, of the goodness of God, of the greatness of God will allow you to live a life marked by worship and prayer. Come on, you received that this morning? As you're thinking about the stuff that actually goes on throughout the day, I know this from experience. If I focus my my life, my attitude, my mind, if I focus it on God, everything else seems to pale in comparison. And when you're worshiping, if there's any element of you in the worship, I don't believe that's true worship. Jeremy's playing this song, it says, wonderful, beautiful, glorious, matchless, in every way. Again, if God is wonderful, what else can be? I mean, truly wonderful. If God is awesome, what else truly can be awesome? Not your favorite football team. Come on, if God is truly glorious, what else can be glorious? And as we sing this just for a couple minutes, a couple seconds, I want you to just focus on the awesomeness of God. Pastor Mark, we got issues. I understand. I'm not dismissing the issues, but I'm reminding them that you've got God too, and God will take care of the issues. Wonderful, beautiful, glorious, matchless in every way. Wonderful, beautiful, glorious, you're matchless in every way.
moment, we just want to say thank you for who you are. Awesome, mighty, faithful, glorious, magnificent. You are holy, God. There's nobody like you. There never has been. There never will be. And Lord, our prayer is that Holy Spirit, you will open the eyes of our understanding. Help us to see you in all of your glory and all of your power and all of your splendor and all of your anointing and in all of your might so that we could respond appropriately. We are so amazed and so in love with you, God. I pray that you would forgive us for making you common. Forgive us for thinking less of you than we should putting our problems on an altar or on a, on a pedestal instead of putting you in your rightful place. Your word says, and we believe that as we repent, times of refreshing will come in the presence of the Lord. So Lord, I pray that that would be our testimony. And I'm gonna pray in a minute, but I want you guys just to pray and ask God to forgive you for treating him less than he deserves. Come on, that's everybody in the room. We want more, more of you. We want more, more of you. We want more, more. pursuit of you in this place today. Show us your glory. Give us a proper perspective of who you are. And Lord, we purpose to not only live a life worthy of the calling we've received, but we promise and purpose to keep you in your rightful place, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We love you. We praise you. We bless you. In Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like to give towards this ministry, learn more about our church and events, or are in need of prayer, please visit capitalchurch.co.